everybody. <laughs> hey, let me just say something. It's not in my notes. Might, might be worrisome to some of you. Uh, we, have, we have folks gather all over the world and in person, and, and I don't think folks are told this often enough. So I'm going to say it. You're going to have to decide if you believe it. But I mean this with all my heart. I love you. I love being your pastor. I love uh, the privilege that comes with it. I love the weirdness that comes with it. <laughs> but uh, the more conversation I have with people, the more I'm uh, just, it breaks my heart that a lot of people wonder if anyone cares about them. And so I'm just telling you, I don't even have to know, we don't have to like know all the ins and outs of each other's lives, but I promise you I love you. Uh, and I hope that this year is fantastic for you. Uh, my goal, I have an agenda with all the sermons. Sorry, just gonna out that right now. Uh, every single sermon this year will have an agenda. It's based on a word that God's shared with, with me and a crew of us, is that it'll have the agenda of trying to help you and I both put God and all the important things that need to be first and put them all in the right priority list. Uh, that's what this whole year is gonna be about. And so uh, it makes most sense, really, <laughs> to start off the entire year going after, I think, the core issue that keeps you and I from putting the right things first, yeah? So uh, let me read something to you well, from the Bible, and this should make sense. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. teacher Jesus was asked, uh, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? I got a lot of things that I would ask Jesus, and for full disclosure, this would not have been one of them. Uh, I would have brought up a lot of other far more selfish things, but Jesus gets asked, like, leading question, uh, because this is from the vantage point of tons of people following tons of rules, which most of us don't like rules. He gets asked, what's the most important? Like, boil it down, and he's like, I'm happy to do that for you. Uh, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. I love it when Jesus says, let me make it simple. Uh, not easy, but let me make it simple. Now, most of you are like, yeah, I've heard this. Cool, I know where he's going with this. I don't think you do. Because if you don't know this about the Bible, <clears throat> Jesus just quoted someone. He did say, he did answer the question. He answered the question straight up. He said, all right, you, you want to know how to boil all this down is, is to love, love God, and then just lays it out on how to do it. Basically, like, with everything you've got. Make him numero uno. He didn't use that language. But he is in that moment in front of people being recorded, eventually put in the Bible. He's quoting someone. I'll show you where he's quoting out of. You have to go all the way back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy says, this is Moses speaking. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Like not and in addition to or you pick and choose. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. He's speaking to a group of people who were accustomed to having a long list of gods. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So you're like, oh, I see what Jesus did. He's quoting that. He's quoting that to a group of people who would have been like, I know that. Moses says this. But some of you who have read the Bible know that Moses didn't just come up with that on his own going, what do I say to these people? Um, how about this? He doesn't just bring up an idea. In fact, in this part of the Bible, he's recorded as giving 
kind of this majorly epic sermon of sorts, almost in a final way, going parting words, this is a big deal, you gotta know all this, and the crux of it is, is love God with everything, everything. But he is actually somewhat quoting or addressing something that all the people there were accustomed to. I think you're gonna be familiar with this. Here's where Moses is coming from when he says that in Deuteronomy, Exodus 20, you must not have any other God but me. Some of you are like, what? I've seen this. You might be used to seeing this scripture not in scripture format, but in what's called the Ten Commandments format. One, two, three, four, you got that? So this is, what, this is where most of us are accustomed to reading this, and when we read it in the Bible, we're like, I don't know what this is, that's what that is. You must not have any other God but me. First one. Then he adds to it. You must not make for yourself an idol in more description here, of any kind or of an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea, you must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. See, sometimes when we read the Bible, we see Jesus, Jesus says, you want me to sum this whole thing up? Happy to. Love God and only God with everything you've got. And now you see a little history going back to, well, Moses actually said that. Love God, the only God. There are no other gods. Love him with everything you got. But that even came from God delivering to Moses what you and I know is the Ten Commandments going, there is only one God. And in addition to that, don't make idols of other gods or even of our God. All throughout the Bible, a word will be brought up called idolatry. Let me talk to you about it because uh, I grew up where sometimes we would say idolatry. I was like, that sounds bad. No idea what it is. But uh, idolatry is the things or people you rely on to do what only Jesus can do. Now, if you're new and you're like, Jesus and God, uh, Jesus is God. It's a whole other sermon. But I'm just telling you, this, the things or people you rely on to do what only Jesus can do. And this is what you and I have a temptation of doing. Relying on other people, other things to deliver to us in our souls, our minds, our bodies? I mean, just make your list. To where if you've ever said, you know what? God is not first in my life. If it's ever frustrated you or just left you in a, in a curiosity of like, I wonder why, why can't I seem to land this? The word idolatry needs to be a part of your vocabulary so that if you understand it, you can fight against it. So, I'm gonna do something that's, well, just not fun for me. I'm just gonna out me as an elementary, middle school, and high school student for you, your pure enjoyment. Um, when, as you're thinking about, hopefully, personally, what you're relying on to do what only Jesus can do, uh, I'm a recovering one of those people and still fight it, and I grew up, uh, serving or worshiping or whatever word you want to use, bowing to uh, what I would call the idol of approval. I was, in classic sense, a people pleaser. And so here's what I did is I, I, I played sports, sports was one of them, and I learned that those people sitting on the sides 
like parents and grandparents where you could do nothing wrong. And, and then sometimes like, you know, a, a girl I liked or, or whoever, that when they screamed when I did something good and they cheered, how that made me feel. Begin to experience that as a, as a young age, like this is, well, this is awesome. I'd get done uh, with a game and people would come up and they would tell me, good job, David. And then the coach would say, that was not a good job at all. And we'd have a different conversation later. But, <laughs> right? but, but I began to go on this, a bit of a, uh, of a hunt. I began to actually seek this. It just made me feel so good to where people began to tell me, not in other facets, it's not like, David, wow, you really did great in school today. I didn't get those. I, but when I played sports, oh man. And then I saw, uh, and this was I think in middle school, I saw one of, the, uh, one of the varsity basketball players, he came to school in his letter jacket. And I'm like, what is that? <laughs> and then people began to go up to him and like talk to him and him, he like, like basically, he looked like the coolest person in the world. Everyone was acknowledging that. I was like, so I need a letter jacket. So I got one. Uh, this is going to be weird. Because <laughs> there's unspoken rules about a letter, letter jacket. In fact, I think I need to solve one of life's problems. Here you go. When you're done with high school, don't wear your high school letter jacket anymore, okay? <laughs> so just, probably some of you are going to leave now. But I just, I, I probably shouldn't put this on. That's dangerous, isn't it? It's like, uh, so I, if you want to know me in high school, <clears throat> Let's see if we can, I can button it. <laughs> Couldn't have done that a year ago, I tell you that. Not, uh. Where's the pockets? So, uh, there's these, these metal things that you put on. If you don't know the world of letter jackets, you, you achieve something, you, you play a certain amount of minutes and games and stuff, and they, you don't give you the jacket, uh, but they give you the letter, and then the more often you, you wear this, and, and I gotta tell you, uh, I coveted this thing like I should not have. Uh, I'm 43 years old and I still have it. If that gives you a little bit of a... <laughs> and and, and I, might have, I might have just said, hey, Katie, would you bring my letter jacket? And she didn't have to say, where is it? There wasn't any of that. That's... <clears throat> <clears throat> I craved this thing. And, uh, and, and I, I didn't get the letter jacket till later on in high school, but I earned the letter and got the bars and was so ecstatic. And then, and I was like, I can't wait to get my own letter jacket and put all, so I got it, I got it. And then I gave it to my girlfriend. <laughs> Another lesson in life, don't do that. Like, <laughs> don't do that. See, what happened was, uh, Playing sports, I learned that I could also have days that I didn't do well and I would not get the affirmation. And I was like, this feeling stinks. And I remember times uh, not getting to play even though I felt like I deserved to play. And after a game, lamenting and feeling like I must not be good enough. So I learned that uh, the feeling I would get when I would get a girlfriend just felt really good. I felt like I was approved of just to have a girlfriend. It didn't matter if I liked her or not. Just, <laughs> she liked me in theory. <laughs> and, uh, 
just like I told you, it's kind of weird to tell you all this, but uh, so I spent several years uh, growing up, moving from sports to girls to eventually, what did my friends want to do? You see me perhaps as a leader of a church, which I am, but if you knew me back then, I was 100% a follower. What did everyone else want to do? And I would just go follow along with that because, because it made me feel good to be a part of their group. All I'm trying to tell you is that I grew up relying on other people to give me what Jesus was saying. Would you just let me give this to you? You don't have to seek the approval of achieving in sports or achieving with getting people to like you or being in a certain friend group. And I spent years, years having to break down what I just shared with you. It wasn't until I think around the age of 24 where I lost a lot of things in my life that I began to realize maybe, maybe what I'm hunting from others has become an idol in my life. Now, I'm not suggesting, by the way, don't take me too far on this, that you shouldn't want approval. <laughs> See, that's how this works, is the natural things in your life, the appetites that many of us have, the devil gets in and manipulates those and misdirects those. So I'm not suggesting you should never want approval. Get that out of your brain. No. No, what I'm suggesting is that we live in a culture now that gives us a laundry list of ways to go about going to it or to them to give us what Jesus says. I would like to provide that for you. And we find ourselves uh, in a cycle. Let me show you what I call, it's, I just think this is a cycle of idolatry. It starts with this appetite, this craving, this desire that's in you, and you're like, you know what? I, I want to go after that, and eventually it lands with idolatry where your appetite, you're depending on your appetite to, to grant you all of these wishes and this fulfillment and this satisfaction and this peace and this joy, and, you're, and you end up, though, taking your appetite, making it your identity, and when it becomes your identity, it becomes idolatry. Uh, just like I did in high school, my identity got wrapped up with who I was dating, who was around me, what was on my letter jacket, and what was going on around. So for others, there's a whole other list. I, I, some of you, it was great, it's good for you. I never was tempted by that idol, ever. But some of, I'm just telling you, but some of us in the sense of seeking approval or achievement or things like that, that's, that's what you put there. I, I made a list. I, I think it's worthwhile just to, to read this to you. Uh, here's different options, and this is not even all-inclusive. Success, companionship, security, money, sex, approval, value, acknowledgement, happiness, peace, adventure. Religion, I would say one of the idols of, of the Black Hills is recreation. We'll go there later in the series, don't worry. <laughs> our appetites, our cravings right now, we're being misled by culture on what to do with those appetites, and we're finding ourselves wanting and the sense of wanting, you know what happens? We worship. We worship in the wrong way. If you don't know what worship is, I just, there's many definitions, but I thought this was maybe most appropriate here. Worship is 
Declaring the greatness of something or someone. Declaring it, whether it be with your, your mouth. I mean, we, we sang today. Uh, sometimes it's, it's singing and declaring that, but sometimes, I think many times, it's actually with our actions and, and our thoughts, like declaring the greatness. And if, uh, if you don't want to get into the trap of having a false idol in your life, You've got to pay attention one to your appetites and what are you doing with your appetites. So there's warnings in the Bible. I thought I would just throw a few up just so you know that this isn't, uh, this isn't old school Pastor David just being like, see, he doesn't want us to have any fun anymore. Uh, no, this is, this is far deeper than that. This is just a, a few places in the Bible. Start with the Old Testament. What fools they are who carry around their wooden idols and pray to gods that cannot save. Most of us nowadays would say, that's, that's dorky. Why would someone do that? We're doing that. 1 John 5, 21, little children, guard yourselves from idols. You gotta think, like, why would it be like that important to put in the Bible? Like, hey, hey, like, guard yourself against idols. Uh, so, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Uh, that's just a, like a short list of saying, don't have idols. Don't have idols. We have examples of, of God saying, don't have idols. Then we have Moses leading the people of Israel, don't have idols. Then we have Jesus reminding, going, love God with everything. Don't love other things with everything. Love God with absolutely everything. You and I have been warned over and over, and then you and I have our own personal stories. When you made someone or something an idol, and it didn't work out, you're like, but they were the one, and they were not the one. Where you thought the job would fix everything, or the house would fix everything, or the money would fix everything, or just going out in the hills would fix everything. You see what I'm saying, what we're doing? We're retreating and escaping, and what we really do is we're hunting for God, the real and only God. Now. Don't feel shame yet at all. In fact, um, old problem from the very beginning. Uh, Moses, uh, and we see in, in Exodus 20 that the delivery of the Ten Commandments, but that's not exactly how it worked out with the time frame. And while Moses was talking to God, uh, the people of Israel got rather impatient with that conversation that was going on. Uh, I know none of us understand impatience and don't connect to that, but uh, what God was not doing things, you know, like in their timing, and so I can take you to Exodus 32 and you begin to see what plays out. Exodus 32, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. See, nowadays, because we know the whole story, but yeah, but he was, he was talking to God. We're gonna wait on that one. No, they were impatient. They gathered around Aaron, come on. Make us some gods who can lead us. Woo! We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. It's crazy uh, how we interpret this part of the Bible. If you grew up in what was called Sunday school, uh, it's typically where you showed up to church and you went to like this class first, and then, and then you went to like what we call big church later, and uh, there was a thing called Sunday school where we were often taught this lesson and we have this mental picture of this group of people who are like, we want some idols, and we begin to think, oh, they're running from God completely. I don't think that's the accurate way to understand what plays out. Here, the Israelites had unmet expectations and unsatisfied desires. That's what's going on right now. 
They're waiting. They've been delivered from slavery, if you don't know the rules behind this and the details behind this. They were followed, they were as slaves living under the rule of the Egyptians, making stuff for them, building stuff for them, all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden they're freed by God through Moses. It's absolutely epically amazing. But it doesn't take long for them to get impatient. In other words, their expectations of God and Moses are not met. Their desires are not being fulfilled. You ever been there? Okay, I've been there with God specifically, where God was not meeting my expectations, whatever they were, and I had desires, and he was not releasing those and giving me freedom with those, and it was frustrating. And what you and I typically do when we're frustrated by the rules and the regulations and how it's worded, we begin to say, then I'm gonna do my own thing and satisfy an appetite I have. That's what they were doing when they went to Aaron and said, hey, we need, uh, we need some idols. Uh, Friar Simon Tugwell spoke to this. This is, this is good stuff. It is, it is the desire for God which is the most fundamental appetite of all. And it is an appetite we can never eliminate. Um, if you don't know this, you don't have to agree with it at all, but I'm just gonna tell you it's true. You were born with an appetite for God. You were born with a craving for your creator. You were born with the desire to actually be in relationship with the one who made you. You were born with that. But all of us would say, you chased that appetite and fulfilled it through something that was a bit more tangible in the moment. Because God's invisible, right? You ever get frustrated by that? You, you willing to admit that? That you want to see God sometimes and him just show up right there in, in, in your living room and say, would you just tell me all the answers to all my questions? Can we just have like five minutes? Like a real conversation? That appetite, that craving to get those is, is natural, it's good. Uh, he kept on saying though, something I think is very true. We may seek to disown it, but it will not go away. If we deny that it is there, we shall in fact only divert it to some other object or range of objects. And then this last one got me. And that will mean that we invest some creature or creatures with the full burden of our need for God. A burden which no creature can carry. So let me fess up something to you. I, at one point in my life, thought that getting married would solve all my problems. Some of you are laughing. You're like, you saw the same thing? So here's what I get the freedom to say because I married epically. But what I learned early on in marriage, you know what part of, I, you know what part of my agenda was? I actually began to place on Katie things that Jesus was supposed to fulfill in my own soul. In fact, that's what many of us right now is what, what's robbing many of us of joy in our marriages is not that the other person is imperfect, which they are. But many of us in marriage treat our spouse like they have the burden of God. Um, parents, shall we have a moment together? Many of us as parents often put a burden on our kids that they know nothing about. And we begin to try to extract from the lives of our kids, from their grades, their performance, their attitudes, their behaviors, and what we're wanting is something God says, I'd like for you to rely on me for those kinds of things. 
I can go down a long list of what we do at our workplace, what we do in school, and how we're trying to get God in all these other places. So I, I, the best way I can articulate this for us to figure out, do you have an idol in your life that you need to like get rid of? I got questions. That's the best I can do right now, okay? We'll go through this, but I got questions. And uh, if you don't take notes, start taking notes for at least the next 60 seconds. If you still like, no, I refuse to do notes, then take a picture of this or whatever you wanna do. But get this, this is, in fact, this is what I think, if you do nothing else with this sermon at all, if you're like, I don't know what he said, don't know what he's talking about, I got lost, blah, 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 blah. Here, take a picture of this and process this the rest of this week with another person, uh, or if you're like, I don't like people, at least by yourself, with God, whatever you wanna do. But these questions, I think, are pivotal and needed. They demand answers. What is my source of security? If you wanna know, I'll just, I'll just out some of this. Uh, through this series, you might think, I wonder what idols we're gonna talk about because this is not the end of the series. Uh, we're gonna talk about idols each and every week, very specific ones, and one of them is I think we worship security and safety. What is my source of security? Where do I gain my sense of worth? So I think it's, well, very relevant that one of the weeks, and this is a bit of a warning, so catch it, catch my drift here. It's a warning in a couple weeks. Pastor David is gonna do a whole sermon on sex, and you better be here. <laughs> and if you don't want someone else to be here, tell them about it. But I'm going to, I mean, like, how, how, much of, how much of the sermon? The whole sermon. <laughs> because I think so many of us have found our sense of worth via the vehicle of something God has given us. So we're going to talk about it. Uh, what, what am I trying to achieve and why? You should have an answer for that. And you might find an idol in there. Uh, and then I think, good, here, who do I thank when things go well? And who do I blame when things go badly? They will help you begin to process that maybe someone or something is in your life other than God giving you the things that God said, I would like to provide that for you. Stop worshiping idols. So I want to turn this because uh, that's probably a, a good enough sermon for you and I to have enough stuff to work on and chomp through the rest of the week. That's enough. Uh, so you're like, why do you keep preaching that? Don't worry about it. Uh, th so that's enough. I'm just gonna, that's enough. I'm just telling you that's enough information that you, that you have. But I would like to take it a little bit further and to jump onto, that's called a soapbox for a second because there's a part in the, in the scripture that I'm gonna read to you that at least jumped out at me. And if the rest of this sermon is exclusively just for me, then that's fine, I'm cool with that. Uh, but, but if it's for you as well, I just wanna make sure that I'm listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit as I should as a pastor. And as I'm reading this, something new jumped out to me that resonated where I had to even text it to Katie and be like, what in the world is this? Did someone put something new in my Bible? And that kind of thing, okay? So I'm gonna read this to you. I think we need to go here and we've got time to go here. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it 
into the shape of a calf. Again, if I said if you grew up in, in what was called Sunday school, you've seen this picture, right? That we didn't really have a picture, by the way. Someone drew it. When the people saw it, watch this. They exclaimed, oh, Israel, these are, are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced tomorrow will be a festival. Do you know, do you know who the festival's for? To the Lord. I know I'm supposed to know the Bible, like, in and out, backwards and forwards, and I guess maybe here's a confession. I, I learn new stuff from the Bible, like, every week, okay? All the time. God's showing me new stuff. It's amazing. When I read this, I was like, oh. See, I grew up just believing that the error of these people was that they don't like God anymore, so they're done with God. They're like, I don't like the kind of God you are, so we're absolutely, totally canceling you, God. We got some others. And so we're gonna go, but that's not actually what plays out here. And I think this helps us. In fact, let me remind us of of the Ten Commandments, specifically the two that he gave us. Uh, You must not have any other God but me. Okay, that makes logical sense that God would say that. But it's the second one. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. What might be in existence in the church these days is that we're not running from God. We're like, I'm, I'm cool with God, but I'm gonna worship him however I want to. That's what they were doing. They had decided that because of unmet expectations and unsatisfied desires, they weren't gonna cancel God, but they were gonna start worshiping God in a way that they wanted to, even though it contradicted what he told them to do. So, Here's the lesson that I want to expound on. Idolatry begins when we make life about us instead of God. That's what they did. They decided that, oh, God's awesome. He's cool. We're grateful. Now, right now, he's not doing what we want. So I'm going to worship him differently. And I'm going to tell you, again, like I told you, I'm on a bit of a soapbox. Again, you can, you can disregard this, or, or maybe perhaps God wants us all to hear this. Perhaps one of the idols is not God, but the experiences that we want with God. I'm going to say it again. Perhaps many Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, would say, What's, I don't have any idols. I don't have any weird stuff in the house. Perhaps one of our idols is not God specifically. It's how we worship him, and we've decided that what he said is no longer relevant, that we get to do things in our way, the way we decide, the way that resonates most with us and our timing. Welcome to culture telling us how to worship. Worship God in the way that you want to. Disregard how he said to worship him and not. I'm in my office going, "Uh uh-oh. Because there are many times that I will actually gather with you and I will go home and I will evaluate in my mind how good worship was that day. 
I begin to think, whoa, maybe I have an idol in my life. The idol of experiencing life the way I want to and feels natural to me. And maybe it contradicts with what God said to do. Do you see the dangers that you and I would say, maybe at the beginning of the sermon, I don't have any idols, this is weird. We don't, we don't have any idols in our house. We don't, we don't have any figurines that are spooky and weird. Maybe you do, but maybe most of us don't. And you're like, isn't that what this is about? No. This is about what you are relying on other than God to get what God said. I want to give that to you. So here in a moment, we're gonna do one of the longest traditional ways of approaching the throne of God. Not your throne, not my throne, the throne of God, called communion. But I wanna pray for us before we go there, okay? Does that make sense? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes, wherever you are, I wanna want bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to get your heart ready. Because I'm gonna guess that you are very similar to me in that there might be things in your life Maybe you don't even know what they are yet. Maybe you don't have a name for them yet, but perhaps that you've let be God. You've let have the authority of God in your life. It chooses your schedule. It chooses to tell you how important or unimportant you are. It gives you your sense of value and credibility. It makes you feel what you want to feel. And perhaps it is not God. And so before we go into communion, I want to give you just some space to say, God, would you reveal anything in my life that I am relying on where I should be relying on you? Almighty God, we trust you to reveal to our hearts where there are areas in our life full of sin and maybe even we just flat out call it mistrust. God, would you reveal to us what might be in between you and I? God, would you reveal to each one of us what might be making you and I not as close as you want to be? God, would you spend the rest of this week, not just me, but for the rest of us, maybe revealing and doing some healing in the midst of our souls, we do not want to worship any other God. We do not want to have any other idol of any sort. We just want to be with you in relationship with you. So God, would you help us get to there if we aren't there? God, thank you for your grace and your mercy that we all need all the time. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, I hope uh, you've had a chance to have what we call the elements, uh, not to weird you out, but basically it's some juice and a wafer. Uh, if you're watching online at your home, it might be, I don't know, last night's dinner and a mix of some water. I don't know what you've got, but I think the specifics of it are less important. I think what you and I are about to do is what God has called us to do is that we remember that we are not God. We, we are not the Almighty. We are not the Redeemer of sins. We are not the forgivers. We are not the ones that can save all mankind, but God indeed is. And so um, I'll give you some history, but I want you to understand what you're doing. Here in a moment, we're gonna sing together, but 
And that's when I'm gonna invite you to, to eat it and, and drink it. But I want you to know what you're about to do. You're about to remember that we have an almighty God that intervened into your life and my life years ago. What he did, uh, where communion comes from, is he's sitting with his disciples and he's having what they think is a routine, traditional Passover meal. They, they're in the ritual of it, right? Kind of like you and I, we go to church and we get into the mix of the ritual of it and then God kind of interrupts it and says, I got you here for a whole other purpose than the ritual of it. He says, you know what? And he broke bread and he passed it. He said, you know, from now on when you break bread together like this, I want you to remember that my body is gonna be broken for you. They didn't fully get it. He was using language that you and I should now understand. He was saying, I'm about to give you access to God like you have never had it. At the moment he says this, you, did, you and I, we wouldn't have had normal access. There was actually even a curtain symbolizing like in the temple where you could not have access to God. And that would have blown their minds that that would happen. And then he passed what we believe to have been a goblet of wine. He says, you know what, from now on when you drink this way with each other this way, I want you to remember my blood is gonna be shed for you. Not only will you have access to God, but you can forever live in the presence of God because my, my blood will be shed for you. I, I am going to die for you. I'm going to pay the debt that you actually owe for your sin. I am going to pay it. Later on, I've, they saw it play out, they would get it. And many of you right now get it. You know that you can't get to God by yourself, by being good enough. You can't spend eternity with God unless someone takes care of your sins, and we believe Jesus has done that for us. So I'm gonna invite you here in a moment to remember that. This doesn't save you. This reminds you that we have a God and he takes care of everything we need to have taken care of. So, when you're ready to remember that Jesus is your Savior, when you're ready to remember that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, when you're ready to acknowledge that there is no way to the Father except through Jesus Christ who died and resurrected for you and I, you do not have to remember that anything other about religion or you don't have to try to be good enough. No, I, what I just said is what you need to remember, that Jesus died for you and resurrected for you, that he loves you, he cares about you, and wants to be in relationship with you for the rest of eternity. And so we as a church have communion together just simply to remind ourselves we have that kind of a God. When you're ready to remember that, it can be during the song or whenever, Eat the bread, drink the juice, remembering that Jesus is our Savior.